You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, thank you so much, band. That led us so brilliantly. And uh, please do take your seats here in the room. And if you're standing at home, then uh, why not take a seat there also? So great this morning to be reminded of the love of God this Valentine's Day. This love of God. The world has some slightly distorted ideas of what love might look like. But the image of love as we began this morning is in Jesus. The image of the invisible God who is love. The one who came and gave himself for us to change our eternity, to come and rescue us and pour his life out to save us. What a God we serve, friends. What a God. What amazing love. And this morning we're going to look and consider a little bit God's plan for our well-being. This is our title today, God's plan for our well-being. And really this is just an expression of the love of God for you and for me. In the next few weeks, we're going to be embarking on a series by this title, God's Plan for Your Well-Being or the Well-Being Journey in Our Life Groups. And I sense that for some of you, maybe things are so difficult right now that even the very mention of the subject of well-being and you feel like withdrawing and switching off. And I just want to implore you, please don't do that in these moments because the God who we've sung of, the God who gave himself for you, the God who loves you, the one who made the heavens and the earth, he loves you. He knows you. He knows what you're journeying right now. He knows what the challenges are. He knows where your heart aches. And he wants to meet you here today and minister into your heart. Well-being is defined in the Oxford English Dictionary as the state of being comfortable, happy, and healthy. Psychology today defines it as having good mental health, high life satisfaction, and a sense of meaning and purpose. It then adds, more generally, well-being is just feeling well. Helpful definition there. I feel that bit was a bit obvious. But anyway, that's what uh, some of the experts say. Now, we can all probably identify from our own life experience that there are some different seasons in life that impact our well-being differently. Some seasons are more difficult than others. Some we are glad to leave behind. Some seem to finish and move on before we're really ready to. But different seasons impact our well-being differently. And there is no doubt, I'm sure, for any of us that this season right now is a tough season. And it seems that for many, many people, their well-being has taken and is taking a hit. You know, we hear the term well-being used way more frequently than we ever used to. A survey even from back in 2018 by the Mental Health Foundation found that 74% of British adults had felt so stressed in the previous year that they had felt overwhelmed or unable to cope. And that was pre-COVID. And of course, the effects of the pandemic of fear, of loss, the far-reaching limits on in-person connection and community have only made this worse. 
But let me be clear here today, we're not jumping on a cultural bandwagon of something that is just in the moment in society right now, because well-being has been part of God's plan from the very beginning. And whilst we don't find the word well-being in most English translations of the Bible, there is a word used frequently throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, which means exactly this. And the word is shalom. That's the Hebrew word Shalom. It gets translated in our Bibles as peace, which we can take to mean the absence of conflict or turbulence. But the true meaning of shalom, whilst it does mean those things about peace, it actually has a much broader meaning that encompasses health, wholeness, harmony, contentment, satisfaction, well-being, safety, prosperity, even reconciliation with God and others. This is a far-reaching word. And the term shalom appears over 250 times in the Old Testament. And the New Testament, which was written in Greek, not Hebrew, has an equivalent word, arene, and that appears over 90 times. So you see, well-being, this all-encompassing peace and goodness is a priority with God. It's part of his plan for you and for me, and it is woven throughout the entirety of Scripture. But true to how God normally works with us in every area of our lives, He empowers us. He allows us free will. We have some control into the choices that we're going to make. We can influence our own well-being and our shalom and how we go about life. He desires to work with us. He is the ultimate source of shalom and well-being. And there is wisdom and there are ways of living which will be life-giving, which will enable and facilitate this Shalom, and we find these expressed in his word in the Bible. He is the source. He gives us his word, which is the blueprint for well-being. As the psalmist puts it, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. He shows us the way. And also he gives us his spirit to empower us on the journey. But we can choose how much we engage with God's plan for our life and for our well-being. And I invite you today to come with me. We're going to consider Elijah, a person that we find in Scripture whose life and well-being we get a little bit of a snapshot into and of how God responds to him and works with him. So if you turn with me, if you would do, to 1 Kings chapter 19, why don't you grab a Bible, grab a device. If you're at home, just run and find one if there's one nearby and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And while we're searching and turning there, let me just give us a little bit of background. Elijah lived about 2,900 years ago in a place called Gilead. That's thought to be modern day Jordan. The nation of Israel at this time had, a, it was, it had experienced a season of moral and spiritual decay and decline. That sounds a little bit familiar. The era of the great kings of David and Solomon, they were long gone and there'd been a succession of wicked kings. And now on the throne was King Ahab. He was married to Jezebel. And the problem with Jezebel was she was a princess passionately devoted to the worship of Baal. The worship of Baal involved occult power, sexual rituals, child sacrifice, a terrible destructive mix. And Jezebel had been killing the prophets of God and raising up in their place prophets of Baal. And it's into this background that Elijah steps in. He was a prophet of God stepping into the scene at this time with messages of warning and judgment for the nation and for the king. 
It's not a great backdrop. It's not an easy job. You can read the whole story of Elijah's life if you want to. You find it in 1 Kings chapter 17 up to 2 Kings chapter 2, and it's full of action. In the New Testament, the book of James, it tells us of Elijah. It says Elijah was a man or Elijah was a human just like us. And it's helpful that James says that because otherwise we might not normally assume that from what we read of him in the Old Testament because Elijah was a man who spoke and acted in supernatural power. He was a man of God through who has performed some extraordinary miracles. Let me briefly tell you about one before we come to the word that we're going to read today. In 1 Kings 18, just before what we read today, Elijah is involved in something of a showdown on Mount Carmel. What seemed to be something of a pivotal point for the nation of Israel. There were the, the prophets of Baal were there. There were 450 of them. And Elijah was there, the only prophet of God present. And that was because some of them had been killed by Jezebel and others were hiding in caves to protect them from Jezebel. On both sides of this, two altars were built, one altar to Baal, one altar to God. And both sides were to call on God for fire to fall on the altar in answer to their prayer. The 450 prophets of Baal prayed Elijah prayed. The altar to Baal remained unlit, but Elijah's prayer to God was immediately met with fire falling on the altar. And the people of Israel who previously had been utterly ambivalent, didn't care about what was going on even, they began to cry out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And these prophets of Baal were seized and killed in what looks like to be a just complete turning point for the nation of Israel. So this is Elijah, man of God, moving in power, influencing the spiritual life of the nation. And that's what brings us to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked up. And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. I'm not going to read the next few verses just for time today. It might be good for you to read them yourself later. But what happens is Elijah has an encounter with God. God remandates him, helps him to see that what he had been doing isn't wasted and that he has more for him to do. And he corrects his perspective and he gives him hope. 
So this is Elijah, man of God, spiritual giant, just been at the center of a significant spiritual moment in his nation. And now we get insight into his well-being or lack of well-being in these verses. Because Elijah experiences something of a collapse, a, a burnout, comes to the end of himself. You know, we might be tempted to think because we know how important and how transformational it is when we connect with God, we can sometimes think that the only part of our lives we really need to focus on is our spiritual lives. But if that's what we think, well, Elijah demonstrates for us that that isn't all that is needed. That living in a way that is godly will impact every area of our lives. And these few verses illustrate something to us of God's care for Elijah in addressing the different areas of need that he presented with. And let's just have a look at these verses and see what we learn from them. If we start back up at the top, Ahab reports to Jezebel what Elijah had done. She basically sends a message to him to say, you are going to pay. You have killed my prophets and you are going to pay. And if you if we knew anything of Jezebel, we would have known this was not an empty threat. She had been actively killing the prophets of God. And not surprisingly, Elijah was afraid. Reasonably so. And we begin to get sight here of Elijah's emotional well-being. His emotional well-being. It begins to get impacted by the unfolding situation around him. He was afraid and he ran for his life. He was threatened he felt fear and his choices and decisions began to become entirely from that fear. You know, most of us will not have experienced this kind of threat, although some of us may have done. But nevertheless, fear presents to all of us in some ways at some points. Not always this obviously, not always with sweating palms and racing pulse, but for some of us, it might be something more subtle, like the deep-seated fear of failure, or the fear of shame, or rejection, or some other sort of fear that drives our decision-making and robs us deep down of our shalom, our sense of well-being. Of course, we know that Scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. But for all of us, there can still be moments, there can still be battles within us and real threats around us that cause us to be impacted by fear. And when that happens, our well-being, our emotional well-being is not intact. And visibly or subconsciously, our choices get driven, our decisions get driven by something else. So here in this story, it gets highlighted to us that emotional well-being is important. And what we see Elijah does, he takes himself off into the desert. He's not in a good place emotionally or mentally. And we get insight into what he's saying. We hear his prayer. He says, Lord, I have had enough. I've had enough, Lord. I wonder if some of us have said that recently. I've had enough, Lord. And he goes on, take my life. There's fatigue, there's exhaustion. He wants it to be over. I think he was there praying. He's in the same clothes that he stood on Mount Carmel in just hours, not long previously, the same clothes in which he called down fire from heaven and saw a nation turn 
And now just moments later, he's there saying, I've had enough. Can't do this anymore. Take my life. Emotional well-being and its challenges can come to any of us. Now, perhaps his emotional well-being wouldn't have been so severely impacted if he hadn't been alone. Verse 3 tells us that Elijah came to Bathsheba and he left his servant there and took himself a day's journey from anyone he knew. And we get highlighted for us here another component of our well-being, which is relational well-being. Relational well-being. We need others. We are at our most vulnerable when we are alone. I know for many of us, this is why the pandemic is so challenging, because it separates us. And perhaps many of us finding it challenging or difficult or not wanting to engage digitally, we can find ourselves with very little connection to others. But even aside from the current restrictions, it's maybe good to ask ourselves normally, if we can remember what normal was. How intentional are we to invest in relationships, in our relational well-being, in relationships that are honest and open, accountable, relationships where we can talk about God and our, and our relating to Him? Because they're important for our relational well-being as well as our spiritual growth, which is why here we prioritize Christ-centered community. Verse five tells us that Elijah, moving on, he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. And here we see something of the tenderness and the care of God in looking after Elijah. God sends him an angel, not with a message to G him up, not to fire him up or to send him off. The angel touches him and says, get up and eat. Wow, get up and eat. I think some of you are thinking, if I were to have an angelic visitation, this is the kind I would like. It's like a divine just eat. He comes, he taps him on the shoulder, he's like, come on, get up, get up and eat. And it tells us that he got up and he ate. There was fresh bread, there was water to drink, and he ate and drank and lay, lay down again. And then the angel came again and said the same again. And God here is attending to Elijah's physical well-being, physical well-being. He needs food, he needs to get drink, he needs to be hydrated, he needs rest, and he needs sleep. And I find it so interesting here that God attends first to Elijah's physical needs. Before anything else, he says, you need some rest, you need some food. You know, the different components of our well-being, they don't all sit separate to one another. They are all interrelated. And sometimes we just need to deal with one before we can deal with another. And sometimes we think we're losing the plot, but actually we just need some food and to look after ourselves physically and get some rest and some sleep. And it can make a big difference to some other areas of our lives. I found it so important in lockdown to prioritize physical activity. It was initially provoked by some increased food intake in lockdown one. I think you know what I'm talking about. But since then, it has become just so beneficial to other areas of my own well-being, physical well-being. It's only after meeting Elijah's physical needs, getting him in better physical shape, then that Elijah, it says, sets out for Mount Horeb which is also known as Mount Sinai or the mountain of God. If you like, it's the place of encounter. He sets out on something of a spiritual pilgrimage to reconnect with God and to attend to his spiritual well-being. 
And once he's there, the Lord asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah begins to pour out his heart to God. Now, it's true in what he pours out, he's slightly lost perspective. In his complaint here, he says, you know, they're putting your prophets to death. I'm the only one left. And you know, that wasn't strictly true. We get told in chapter 18 that Obadiah had hidden 100 prophets in a cave. There were at least 100 left, but this can happen, can't it? When we get overtired, when we're not in great shape, then we also lose perspective on what's actually true and what actually isn't. But the Lord meets him there, speaks to him, mandates him afresh, renews his purpose and call, speaks here to his vocational well-being. What I mean by that is his sense of motivation and purpose and call. He speaks hope to him, addresses his perspective. Yep, he corrects him. He says, let's begin to just see the truth of this. I've reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And he reminds him, look, I'm still at work. What you were on with wasn't wasted. I know it didn't bring the transformation you thought was immediately going to happen or bring down Jezebel, but it was part of what I'm doing. And I've got more for you to do. And if we to read on and read the rest of Elijah's story after that, as he recovers and comes out of this point of collapse, what we find is that Elijah went on from there. He did what the Lord asked him to do. He spoke some things that the Lord had revealed to him and they came to pass. He anointed and appointed a successor, Elisha, who went on to do even more than he had done. And at the end of his life, Elijah was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, in what was possibly the most glorious departure from earth recorded in scripture, perhaps with the exception of the ascension of Christ himself. Elijah's life was not all plain sailing. It did not all go well. He wasn't always consistent, but God had a plan for his well-being and his shalom. You know, in this well-being journey that we're going to undertake in life groups, we'll be looking at six areas of well-being, these five from this morning and one more. We're going to be seeking to better understand how we can partner with God in his plan for us, that we might experience physical well-being, greater uh, physical energy and health, that we might experience emotional well-being, greater peace and freedom that we might experience spiritual well-being, a heightened sense of spiritual satisfaction in the deepest part of us, relational well-being, greater connectivity and harmony with others, financial well-being, a greater margin and peace and enables us to live a life of generosity and, and vocational well-being, a stronger sense of vocational motivation, of creativity that's aligned to purpose and calling. Of course, we won't change everything in the next seven weeks, but we can understand more and we can begin to identify what small, simple, practical steps we can take to move forward as we partner with God. Maybe you're not in a life group. I know our life group and some of our team have worked so hard in the last few weeks to get more than 50 people into groups who've expressed an interest in being in them so they can access this well-being journey. But if you haven't done that, you could still get hold of the book for yourself. It's available from Waverly Abbey Resources or you'll even find it on Amazon. Why not get hold of it and get a friend to do the same and journey it together so that you can also be part of the journey. But perhaps today you find yourself depleted. 
Yep, you're up for going on a journey, but also just in the here and the now, you find yourself depleted. I believe God wants to minister to you. As we tee up a journey, I know the Spirit of God wants to come and meet you right where you are, not waiting for you to put some other things in place, but to minister to you right now. And in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and invite Holy Spirit to do just that. Because God has a plan for your well-being. You're not on your own in trying to journey this out. He is concerned for your well-being. Shalom was his idea. He is the source of true well-being, complete well-being. And I encourage you today to come to him as you are, however you find yourself, whatever the things you might be saying or thinking, whether they're things you would think that you want people around you to hear or not, come to God as you are. You can say it as it is to him. Be real with him. Talk to God about it. Lean into his word. Ask for help from his Holy Spirit. And as I come to finish today, I wanna remind us of the words of Jesus himself in John 14, 27. They may be familiar to some of us. He says, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He said, peace, I give you. Peace here, it means the same as shalom, this all-being, all-encompassing well-being. Jesus says, my peace I give you. And he wants to meet you with that peace right here and right now. And I just invite you as I get ready to pray, if you wanna receive, why don't you stand to your feet? Whether you're here in the room or at home, why not stand to your feet, position yourself to receive something from the Lord today, that he might meet you, that he might encounter you and fill you afresh. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us. You've already given us everything you could give. You've paid the highest price. And so we have confidence that everything else we need, you will not withhold. And we thank you that you are the God of Shalom the God who ministers and brings well-being, peace, health, strength, and so much more. And Lord, we need you. How we need you, Lord, in this season with its challenges. How we need you anyway, but how much more in this season. And so we call out to you today and reach out to you and ask that you would meet us and fill us. Father, I pray in these moments that you would pour out your Holy Spirit here in the room at CLM and here in every home, in every lounge, in every kitchen, in every bedroom. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we invite you to come and to minister your peace, to minister this peace of God tangibly into hearts and lives. Please come and minister, Lord. Come and minister your love that satisfies your love that casts out fear. Holy Spirit, come and minister your peace that transcends understanding. Holy Spirit, come and minister your presence that covers and holds and carries. 
Minister your care that lifts burdens off. Minister your hope that shines light into hearts, to every place of despair. Holy Spirit, minister your forgiveness afresh that brings mercy and grace that lifts off shame. Holy Spirit, minister your resurrection power that heals and strengthens and brings life, whatever the doctors have said. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Minister your provision for every need, your companionship, your intimacy for the lonely. Holy Spirit, minister your direction where we feel lost and where our purpose seems to have got sidetracked. Holy Spirit, we invite you to testify into each heart that they are a son, that they are a daughter of the Father who is with them, who is for them, who believes in them, who has chosen them and who has promised to never leave them or forsake them. Holy Spirit, would you testify? Would you minister and overshadow each person, fill them, minister to them? Let your shalom and your well-being flood every heart and life. Renew us afresh, we pray. In the name of Jesus.